been worse. I'm a superstar. Bought me a big old car. 4.6. Black with the balls on the front and back. Welcome to DFS MVP, Daily Fantasy Sports Most Valuable Podcast, presented by 4 for 4 Football. This is Wednesday, November 2nd, about 8.30 p.m. Eastern Time, as we're recording this week nine in the NFL, and TJ Hernandez is fired. No, I'm just kidding. He is on vacation, so we will be joined by a special guest today, Mr. Joe Holka, who is popular for his rushing expectation work on PredictiveFantasySports.com, also a contributor on 444 and FantasyWabs.com, writes a great weekly article called Stacking the Deck for 444 DFS subscribers. A lot of great stacks have been hitting every week. Joe, what's up, my man? What's going on, Chris? Appreciate the opportunity to fill in here. Obviously, pretty big shoes to fill with TJ gone, but do my best not to ruin the hashtag brand you guys have going. It. I think. I think the last time we talked, uh, I was actually living in Florida doing the whole pro hockey thing still. So, yeah, excited to talk some week nine, man. Definitely. And speaking of the hashtag brand, uh, you know we got to talk about the music that played us in. And I actually just had a conversation uh, with you an hour or two ago about that and i was asking you if you wanted to uh, do the honors of picking the music and your response was that you didn't want to pick anything too country and ruin our hashtag brand so in honor of that countryness i chose a song by pd pablo it's a it's a rap song but it's it's a country rap song um raise up um, off of his 2001 album Diary of a Sinner uh, I just sent you the link Was that the first time you've ever heard the song? Yeah, it's the first time Just checked it out I'm a fan though like, I'm definitely more of a country guy myself But I don't think TJ would ever talk to me again If we let that happen while he was gone So no, I, I like where we went with it though <laughs> Definitely not it's, uh, it's a song from back in my uh, teenage days I used to get pretty hyped to it So I thought I'd throw it on the pod but if, let's get right into uh, talking about some 4 for 4 DK Championship. Joe, I know you qualified uh, for a seat a couple of weeks back, so we're going to get into that later. Our DFS Theory segment will be on qualifiers. We'll also talk some stacks with Joe, and we'll also talk some rushing expectations. So should be a good DFS Theory segment, but... As far as the 4 for 4 DraftKings Championship, you guys can go to the 4 for 4 homepage on the right-hand side and there is a link to enter the 4 for 4 DraftKings Championship. Congratulations to DraftKings user Yukon1029 who took down first place and qualified last week. Um, he had a, a lineup that scored 194.82, had the car to Cooper stack, had Devontae Booker, Matt Forte, David Johnson, CJ Fedorowicz at tight end, Mike Evans didn't hurt him, and he also had Devontae Adams and the Kansas City Chiefs defense. So uh, congratulations to him. I won't spend too much time talking about uh, the 4 for 4 DK Championship now because we'll go into it a lot more with Joe later on. So as you guys know, nothing's changed. We'll start off with our quarterbacks. I'll get right into it. Dak Prescott is 7,600 on FanDuel. He's 6,100 on DraftKings. And Mr. Prescott has not scored fewer 
than 18 FanDuel or DraftKings points since his first start as a pro in week one. He's got Des Bryant healthy now. The Cowboys opening implied point total of 27.5 was the second highest on the main slate of games. The Cleveland Browns rank second to last in 4-for-4s schedule-adjusted fantasy points allowed to quarterbacks, and the Browns have allowed multiple touchdown passes to quarterbacks in 7 of 8 games this season and 15 of their last 17 dating back to 2015. Joe, who you got? Yeah, first off, I love the Dak call. His efficiency in general this year has just been off the charts. You can almost see him getting more confident each week, and mm-hmm. I don't think the value of getting a guy like Dez back can really be understated, but my quarterback is Aaron Rodgers. If you want to pay all the way up, he is 9100 on FanDuel and 7800 on DraftKings. He's a home favorite with the highest team total of the week, and he's facing a Colts defense ranked 29th in our quarterback adjusted fantasy points against metric. We're always looking for efficiency at the quarterback position, and Rodgers has the fifth highest average quarterback rating on the slate, and he's facing a defense that has allowed on average the second highest quarterback rating on the slate as well. So I would normally like to see a bit of a tighter spread as the Packers are favored by 7.5 points in this one, but the whole lack of run game in general that Green Bay has is is going to keep them throwing, I think, and and if they are indeed ahead, I, th- I think it's going to come from Rodgers as using those kind of short to intermediate passes as an extension of the running game, honestly, might have been the best thing that could have ever happen to Rodgers' value, so really excited about him this week if you do decide to pay up. Chris? Yeah, that was a great call. Um, what you said about, you know, this might have been the best thing that ever happened to him because, you know, people that follow me on Twitter um, have seen me. I've been critical of Rodgers this season and really going back to last season, ever since Jordy Nelson first got hurt, Rodgers and the offense just didn't seem to be the same, or at least since that, that game uh, against Denver at the midpoint of last season. But now that they kind of had to switch their offense up and make the short passing game an extension of their running game, even though Rodgers per attempt yardage is down, he they really found something here with all these receivers. And we'll talk more about them later as far as who to stack with and whatnot. But I do love the Rodgers call, and I love him this week in any format. Let's go into the key stat. Mine for quarterbacks is in 17 road games since the start of 2014, Ben Roethlisberger averages 1.06 passing touchdowns and 281 passing yards per game. Now, at home in 17 games, he's at 2.94 passing touchdowns and 342 yards per game. So Roethlisberger losing nearly two-thirds of his passing touchdowns and 61 yards per game when he's on the road as he will be this weekend. Joe? Yeah, Mikey Stat at quarterback per our friends at Fantasy Labs on DraftKings. Tyrod Taylor has exceeded his salary-based expectations in seven of eight weeks so far this season. He is currently top 10 in fantasy points per dropback and quarterback rating through eight weeks, but he doesn't have a single receiving weapon in the top 85 in receiving yards per game or the top 60 in both targets or receptions per game. 
And uh, speaking of quarterbacks, um, I know you alluded to it a little bit with the Green Bay spread, but how are you feeling about Andrew Luck this week on the other side of Aaron Rodgers? His price is essentially either at its cheapest point or just above its cheapest point it's been in years. Do you trust him in cash games, uh, even with T.Y. Hilton potentially being banged up? Yeah, typically I'm not going after a road underdog quarterback but anytime you see a salary dip like this it is intriguing i'm I'm definitely going to have exposure to tournaments if if hilton is banged up i think they could in theory ramp up uh dante moncrief who we might talk about a bit later i definitely like this game though as far as uh stacking purposes but luck's interesting i'm I'm definitely interested in tournaments but i'm not quite sure if i'm going to go there in cash yeah i think with all the value kind of opening up i don't really think you need luck in cash but uh, you know i do like him as a tournament play just as you said we saw last week even when he threw for 210 yards and they scored two touchdowns he still had 60 yards rushing which was essentially right. like it's essentially like an extra passing touchdown in 20 yards or so so um you do like luck in tournaments let's move on to running backs and here's a guy who i'm not sure many people will be two on this week just because there's a lot of value with potentially shark Kendrick west and then there's Devonte booker and of course uh there's some studs the guy you'll talk about next joe but melvin gordon is 7800 on FanDuel, 6300 on DraftKings, which is actually a hundred dollars less than Devonte booker melvin gordon has been a top five running back in terms of points per game on FanDuel and DraftKings this season uh, to me, he's shown that he's matchup proof. He's played Denver in two of the last three weeks, and in those two games, he's averaged 27 touches for 124.5 yards against the Broncos, and the Chargers are five-point home favorites. Gordon is in the top three in carries inside the 20, the 10, and the five-yard line. So I like Melvin Gordon this week. I don't think his ownership will be uh, too crazy. Yeah, Melvin Gordon was a guy who was a little bit higher on, I think, than most after going through the whole rushing expectation process. I, I think a lot of people kind of roped him in with guys like Latavius Murray and those type of inefficiencies, and he obviously hasn't been very efficient this year, but he's, he's seemingly just in tr- like trolling the entire DFS community this year because people don't want to play him because of how mm-hmm. inefficient he's been, but his volume and red zone involvement, like it just never seems to match his ownership. But I, I, so I really like that call, especially as a home favorite. My running back, as you alluded to, Ezekiel Elliott, uh, 9,200 on FanDuel and 7,900 on DraftKings. He's a heavy road favorite with tied for the second largest spread on the slate at negative 7.5 points. And he faces the Cleveland Browns, who Ranked 29th in running back adjusted fantasy points against that we use here at 4 for 4 And per Football Outsiders, the Cowboys are playing the fourth slowest pace in the league, but Elliott stu- still ranks third in potential touches, so rush attempts plus targets with 25.29 per game behind just, just David Johnson and Le'Veon Bell. So he has seven touches inside the 10-yard line in his last four games, and his quarterback, actually, Dak Prescott, who you just talked about, also has four, which is a bit concerning, but the Browns are tied for the third most total touchdowns allowed to running backs this year at 1.5 per game, and they have yet to allow a rushing touchdown to a quarterback this season. 
Yeah, I don't think there's too much else to say about Zeke. I mean, that's a slam dunk play, uh, playing the worst team in the NFL. My key stat, it'll actually be a little double dip here. Uh, Another Pittsburgh Steeler-themed key stat. Le'Veon Bell has played 95% of the Steelers' snaps since returning. No other running back has played more than 84% of his team's snaps on the season. And Le'Veon Bell is the PPR running back two in terms of points per game. He's scoring 22.2 points per game. And he hasn't even scored a touchdown yet. Yeah, it almost seems like a week to pay up for running back at this point. If you can play Zeke and Bell somehow, if value kind of opens up to make that happen, it, it could be a great thing to do. Obviously, I wasn't going to come on here and not mentioned Spencer Ware even if he might not play this week so my key stat at running back per my rushing expectation methodology and 2015 sample the overall expected success rate for a running back for the Chiefs in 2015 was 46.5% the fifth highest expectation in the league and Spencer Ware performed above even that high expectation by a full 12% in the run game where Charkandrick West fell below expectation behind negative 4.1 behind the same Kansas City offensive line. So not only that, Ware had these ridiculous efficiency numbers facing eight or more in the box on 36% of his runs against base sets where success rate was an absurd 65.4%, where West had just a 40.5 success rate with seven or less in the box behind this same offensive line. So if Ware ends up playing this week... He's my guy over West, and it's really not even close. Yeah, we'll uh, get people started on tilting on West early. I remember last season, I think it was the first game Sharkandrick West started. He did not do well at all. I think he might have fumbled, and it was mm-hmm. just so tilting. But then, you know, like the la- the next three games, he did a lot better. But I think a lot more people were off of him after that that first game. So it seems like a situation where, you know, m- something like that might happen again. Um, Something else I wanted to ask you about, Darren Sproles, 20 touches last week, but he's coming off consecutive five-touch games. He cost 4,800 on FanDuel, 3,900 on DK. Uh, Doug Peterson, head coach of the Eagles, seems to insist that Ryan Matthews is their guy, but Ryan Matthews really hasn't been playing as many snaps as Sproles all season long. How do you feel as Sproles... Would you use him in cash games uh, under any circumstances? Right. Spurs and Matthews both, at least last year, performed well above their expectation with how bad that offensive line played. But this week on DK for Spurs, I mean, I think you have to consider it. The guy had seven targets last week, and if he catches even just four of those balls this coming week, I, I mean, you're well on your way to hitting value at that salary for sure. But I don't know. What do you think about Spurs? You know, I mean, it's tough for me because the 20-touch back is kind of the type of back that I'm looking to play in cash, and I usually don't. Mm-hmm. Like, I remember I think Bobby Rainey was kind of a trendy pick uh, earlier in the season because he was kind of having that, that, that kind of PPR usage, and I don't really play guys unless I think they can get 20 touches, and, you know, I just don't know. Um, I, I feel like I want to see it another week before I, I jump in because, like I said, I the, the five touch games concern me um, coming, yeah. you know, before. And I think 
this most recent game is fresh in our minds because it, it came on in prime time and it was the Sunday night game. So I probably won't touch him in cash. I think I would just go with I'd rather go with Sharkandrick West and maybe two of the the studs like you mentioned earlier, um, and just mm-hmm. kind of let other people um, live or die with with Sproles. But I love him in, in a tournament because he does have that twenty touch upside as he showed. What do you think his ownership's going to be at this week after what he did last week, like you said, in prime time? Oof, I, I definitely double digits. Um, there are a lot of running backs that people are going to want to play, so mm-hmm. I, I don't think it will be outrageous, but I think it will be in double digits. and Maybe in a tournament like a, a Millie Maker, it probably will be even higher than both of us uh, expect. So I, I'd say maybe 17% in the Millie Maker, but around 11, 12 across the industry. What do you think? Yeah, it could be. I mean, I have him on my board right now, but like you said, I don't I don't normally typically play guys like that, so I'm still trying to get a feel for if I'm going to be underweight or overweight on the field, so I'll have to kind of get a better idea of that as kind of the week goes on here. Yeah, I think, I mean, if if he's the one of the only cheaper options, like if Spencer Ware plays, I think his ownership will definitely increase, but if, if West is also in play, um, you know, at, at, a, at a lower sal- salary, at a low salary as well, then um, I think Sproles will be kept more in check. Um, let's get into wide receivers. Des Bryant, and this has become a theme, as you guys can tell. Target the Browns. They are not a good defense. I know they just got Jamie Collins. That might help a little bit, but there's still a lot of bad players on this defense. Des Bryant is 7,800 on FanDuel, 7,400 on DK. And he's has 100 yards and or a touchdown in each of his last three games. He Since he came into the league in 2010, he has a 40.2% career red zone touchdown rate on 87 targets. And that leads all wide receivers over that span with a minimum of 50 targets. And in case you guys don't know, red zone touchdown rate is simply a red zone touchdowns divided into red zone targets. And the Browns are 28th in 4-for-4's schedule-adjusted fantasy points allowed to wide receivers. And then going toward the middle to the lower tiers in salary, Jordan Matthews, 5,800 on FanDuel, 5,700 on DK. It's been kind of quiet, but Matthews has topped 65 yards and or scored a touchdown in six of seven games this season. The only time he failed to do so was against the Minnesota Vikings, which is understandable just given how strong their defense has played overall. And the Giants struggle against slot receivers. They gave up 10 catches, 57 yards, and a touchdown to Tavon Austin last week. Four catches, 64 yards to Kamar Aiken in week six. Nine catches for 108 to Randall Cobb in week five. Uh, Four catches, 78 yards, and a touchdown to Jamison Crowder in week three. Five catches, 54 yards, and a touchdown to Willie Sneed in week two. And eight catches for 65 yards to Cole Beasley in week one. So slot receivers producing against the Giants almost every week. And Matthews, and this is something that 
I know you guys like to do over at Fantasy Labs, and I love to do it here as well. And we do it with the four for four player pricing report. Is we try to look at these price drops, especially for wide receivers, because it's such a volatile position, and there's usually value to be found there. And Matthew's price has dropped twelve hundred on FanDuel since his week five high of 7k and it's dropped 1400 on DraftKings since his week three high of 7100 so Jordan Matthews uh in a really good spot has a lot of uh predictive indicators working in his favor Joe yeah I never knew that about the the whole Matthew salary thing that's a really good point um he just seems to be that non-sexy play that sees a ton of volume and has been super consistent this year so I definitely don't mind that call especially against the Giants uh, attacking them through the slot like you said and love the desk call as well he's definitely a guy who doesn't need a ton of targets to kind of break a game wide open and the Browns defense just seems kind of content watching wide receiver one score instead of playing a couple more plays so definitely like the Dez call um my first wide receiver is Dante Moncrief he is 6100 on FanDuel and 5800 on DraftKings and per an off-season study at 444 historically road underdog wide receivers do see a bump in production and also T.Y. Hilton is battling a hamstring injury still Per yet another one of those off-season DFS studies that you guys should all check out, wide receivers who are questionable or doubtful with a hamstring injury tag saw a 10.6% dip in targets and also a 10.9% drop in catch rate. So even if Hilton does play, he might not necessarily be in play. But So some of those targets could go to someone like Philip Dorsett that's going to play alongside Moncrief in two wide receiver sets, but... I still see more upside for Moncrief as he's the receiver in this offense most likely to benefit in the red zone. People forget that his 66.7% red zone catch rate last year was 12th highest in the league among all wide receivers. So if Hilton plays, I still love Moncrief this week at this salary against a Green Bay defense that is ranked 23rd in wide receiver adjusted fantasy points against and will have given up tied for the fourth most touchdowns to wide receivers this year at 1.43 per game my second wide receiver is jarvis landry he's 7600 on FanDuel and 7100 on DraftKings. landry has seen a 30 percent target market share in the past four weeks and has the second highest target market share in the league on the season he's facing a jets team ranked 30th in wide receiver adjusted fantasy points against and landry remains kind of the focal point of this Dolphins passing game. He should see a ton of Marcus Williams in this game also, and the Jets have allowed two touchdowns to Andrew Hawkins recently, so I think Landry is a little bit more talented than Hawkins, and he should continue to see massive target volume against kind of the Jets' funnel defense, like Adam Levitan likes to call it, and he, he offers a nice target floor week to week, and though his yardage totals have dipped a bit in in recent weeks, kind of with the emergent with emergence of JGI, I still really like Landry this week. Yeah, I, and, yeah, and I want to ask you something because I know with my, with myself personally, I tend to play Landry or be, have much more exposure to Landry on DraftKings than on FanDuel, um, just because of the nature of his scoring. He's not really a high touchdown scorer but he tends to get a lot of volume and when he has a good game he usually can 
put up something like nine catches for 105 yards, which would get him that three-point bonus. Is that something you do as well, or do you just um, play him anytime he's in a good spot, regardless of the scoring system? Yeah, I like Landry in cash, almost regardless, because I think that's a little bit priced in, because he's not super expensive on FanDuel, but I get what you're saying. He doesn't have that that yardage upside, definitely in tournaments. I, I don't play a ton of Landry in tournaments on FanDuel, but I definitely, I still think he's viable for cash just because of that target share. I mean, 0.5 PPR, yeah, it's not as much as on DraftKings, but it still matters. You're still, even those like those small plays that he is getting in this offense, like if he breaks one like he did a couple weeks ago and gets a touchdown, like you're in business. Definitely. And I guess we should have talked about this in the running back section, but you know what do you, what do you think of Jay Ajayi? He's back to back two hundred yard games. You know he had one, and then everyone kind of wrote it off, and then he went right back and had a second one. And both of them were against teams that were at least perceived to have solid run defenses. Now he's going up against the Jets, who have a good run defense, but who have at the same time been giving up production to some of the upper tier running backs uh are you on a jai this week do you want to be overweight on him or what are you doing with him this week i honestly jay jai is someone that i have no idea what to do with because i don't think i've ever seen a player with back-to-back games like this but i mean his ownership because like people don't believe it like it's and, and even this week they're playing the jets so people are probably not going to be on him like they should either and the one thing that i do think could be a negative towards a jai this week is where the Jets are kind of getting beat in the run game is running backs that catch passes. And though I do think J.H.I. is capable of doing that, they just haven't used him that way so far this year. So I will have some exposure to J.H.I. in tournaments. I feel like you have to as a home favorite and what he's done the past two weeks. But I'm nervous to use him in cash, especially with the other options that are available. How do you feel about it? Yeah, I kind of feel the same way. I I don't think you need him in cash at all. He's not an option for me in cash, but I'll definitely have him in tournaments and probably be overweight for the simple fact that, as you mentioned, people don't believe in him. He'll probably be in that 5 to 8% ownership, I oh, would yeah. think, at most. Maybe. I mean, I could even see him slipping below 5%, but I think something to keep in mind when we're looking at these numbers for running backs is a lot of times we see a team give up a huge game and we automatically assume they just had a lot of problems with their run defense. Whereas I think with the Dolphins, it's really their offensive line starting to come together. They started to get healthy on their offensive line. And that offensive line does have some talent with, you know, Laramie Tunsil and, and Pouncey and a bunch of those guys finally healthy. So I, I think the Dolphins will at least be able to match up okay to the Jets defensive line. But I think it's a great point that it's kind of somewhat of a negative that he doesn't catch as many passes. But back-to-back 200-yard games, I'll definitely, you know, probably have something like, you know, maybe 10%, 15% at least just to be a little bit overweight on the yeah. field. Not, not only that, I, I'm pretty sure that five of the touchdowns that the Jets have given up this week or this year, three of them have gone to David Johnson. So even that is a little bit inflated. So, <laughs> Right, exactly. Great point. Uh, let's get into the key stat for wide receivers. Allen Robinson's price of 6900 on DraftKings has not been lower since week 10 of last season. And his price of 6700 on FanDuel has not been lower since week 6 of last season. God, Allen Robinson. I was really heavy on him that week where we thought he was not going to be that popular and he kind of burned some people. But 
I'll be there again probably this week right there with you. Mikey Stat at wide receiver. Uh, last year, Julio Jones ranked sixth in the NFL in red zone target market share at 28.8%. So far in 2016, he is 116th in the NFL in red zone at target market share at just 6.5%. Matt Ryan, meanwhile, has gone from 9th to 4th in red zone attempts per game, but four players on the Falcons have seen more targets than Julio inside the 20-yard line, including Devonta Freeman, Jacob Tammy, Mohamed Sanu, and Tevin Coleman. Yeah, that's a great stat. And Julio has been one of my favorite fades this year. At times, I, I, I think I had the most exposure the Carolina week, but it just seems like he's always one of the most, if not the most expensive player on the slate. And if he's going to have high ownership, you know, just from a roster construction standpoint, um, sometimes it makes sense to fade a guy uh, like that. So um, interesting situation this Thursday where he's coming off a bad game, a little banged up, but because it's a Thursday slate, I'm sure his ownership will be sky high. So interesting spot for another another fade there. Uh, Brandon Marshall, speaking of guys, you know, we talked about Allen Robinson a little bit. Brandon Marshall is another guy who has been getting the targets. He's been getting the red zone work. He's he looks fine on the field. Like, it's not like he looks washed up or anything, but just like Allen Robinson, he's dealing with really poor quarterback play he's in the mid 700s on both sites going against a dolphin secondary that is not very good what do you think about brandon marshall this week joe yeah marshall and robinson those are two guys i've been like really struggling with and have been overweight on quite a bit this year kind of to my peril but uh i do love him as a tournament play again he's a guy that shows up highly in my model every single week, and it's probably because of his target share and his red zone involvement, but I think in this matchup, we're going to have to kind of think long and hard about what his ownership's going to be. I mean, he could end up being a great pivot off of some other guys that, just because people are worried about how bad Fitzpatrick has been, and I mean, it has been bad. That's why he's not a cash play. He's like one of the only guys that's not really in the cash consideration for me that's anywhere near this target market share, so I don't know how you feel about it. Yeah, I, I don't think, you know, I, I kind of, I think I would consider him in FanDuel cash because of the price tag and just because of the red zone work and the targets and, you know, but on and DraftKings, he's almost the same price as he is on FanDuel, so I don't think you really need him there, but I would consider him, although I don't think I'm going to go in that direction. I think what I'm going to do is do something, like you said, with uh, probably Aaron Rodgers and two expensive stud Mm -hmm. running backs but i mean it's got to happen at some point for marshall because again it's it's not like he's just i know he's 32 or 33 or whatever but it's not like he's out there looking washed up you know he had some he made a few plays against richard sherman a few weeks ago he has had a couple hundred yard games but just overall it just hasn't been there uh for him but i I think you got to keep rolling him out in tournaments and like you mentioned joe i think the ownership is going to be at a good place for you not to go too crazy with exposure to him but still kind of get him overweight a little bit to the field Mm -hmm. so tournament play for me and antonio brown another expensive wide receiver that just kind of gives you pause a little bit just because we don't know exactly how healthy Ben is, and we know Ben has also struggled in his first game back from injury. Excuse me. We know he struggled in his uh, eight career road games at Baltimore, and we know he struggles on the road in general. However, Antonio Brown, who is also banged up, by the way, I guess with a little hip 
injury, although it didn't really stop him from doing, you know, coming back on the field in his last game before the bye. Um, how do you feel about paying up for Antonio Brown? Would you do it in cash? Um, I'm, I'm assuming you would in tournaments, but I guess would you do it in cash? Yeah, tournaments is going to depend on his ownership, but leaning towards a little bit there. Um, we actually preparing for this podcast. I originally was thinking about talking about Brown, and then I started looking into his home road splits. Obviously, people talk about that quite a bit, but they are definitely a thing, and I didn't even know that Roethlisberger has struggled when he's been injured, so that's just another negative in his favor. I think that I'd much rather be overweight on a play like Le'Veon Bell um, in this offense on the road. He's a guy that I'm looking for in cash games. Antonio Brown, I was looking at him originally because of how much his price has gone down since Ben's been out, and he is a little bit more appealing than when he was 10K on DraftKings a few weeks ago, but I still don't think I'm going to go there in cash. Right, and I completely agree. I... uh... For the 4 for 4 newsletter that goes to DFS subscribers last week, I wrote up how when we consider salaries, especially of running backs versus wide receivers, we have to look at them kind of side by side. So, yes, Antonio Brown's salary has gone down, but for example, on FanDuel, him and Le'Veon Bell are the same price. And, you know, it's really who do you feel better about this week? It's definitely Le'Veon Bell. So, you know, I think Antonio Brown makes a lot of sense as a tournament play for those exact reasons you mentioned that I don't think his ownership will be that high because people are kind of thinking about everything, all the negatives with Big Ben, the hip injury, the, the home road split, and but the price is coming down. That's usually an indicator of, of value, and that's a chance I'm willing to take on on a guy in, on the best receiver in the league in tournaments, you know, I don't think anytime you can get Antonio Brown at a decent ownership percentage in a tournament, I think it's a good play. We even saw him go over a hundred yards with Landry Jones at QB. So I have no problem whatsoever with him in tournaments. But again, I think a lot of these expensive receivers this week just give me a lot of pause in cash games with the way the value is shaking out where you have these stud running backs who are just getting this amazing usage and uh, a bunch of them are home favorites. And then you have a bunch of these kind of middle tier value wide receivers who you can go to. So I don't think I'll be going with any Antonio Brown in cash, but uh, I love him as a tournament play. Let's yeah, that's a really good call. I think just what you said, like anytime you can get Antonio Brown at a lower ownership in tournaments, like people are thinking of exactly what we're talking about, these home road splits. But I, I got this kind of talent at a position where talent really matters. I think you definitely have to consider him in tournaments. Yeah, that's a great point. Talent at the wide receiver position, probably the position where uh, talent matters the most out of all the positions, I would, I would say. Mm-hmm. Kyle Rudolph is my tight end. He's 5K on FanDuel, 4K on DK, fourth among tight ends in targets per game at 7.7, leads the entire NFL, not just tight ends, but the entire NFL in red zone target market share at 38.9%, and the Vikings just haven't been in the red zone all that much, but they're playing the Detroit Lions, who are one of the worst defenses in the league. The Lions rank 29th in 4 for 4 schedule-adjusted fantasy points allowed to the tight end position, and the Lions have allowed 75-plus yards and or a touchdown to a tight end in seven of their eight games 
this season and especially in cash games I always like to pay down at the tight end position whenever I can and I also like to target one of the worst teams in the league at defending the position at a cheap salary whenever I can so Rudolph his price his opportunity and his matchup they all line up for me Uh, worked out last week with CJ Fedorowicz so I'm going back to the well targeting Detroit again Joe love it I mean we're just going to keep playing tight ends and cash against Detroit until they let us down at this point, right? <laughs> Rudolph definitely, definitely has unless that. It's, unless it's Zach Ertz, but yeah. <laughs> exactly, yeah. <laughs> Rudolph definitely has a ton of touchdown equity, though, so I can, I can get behind that. Um, my tight end is Travis Kelsey. He's 6,600 on FanDuel and 5,300 on DraftKings. After a big game last week, I'm still going back to the well with Kelsey, even a tough matchup against the Jaguars, who are fourth in tight end, adjusted fantasy points against. But the Chiefs are heavy home favorites, and they're tied for the second largest spread on the slate, also at seven and a half points. So he, he's got a high t- team total as well, and that's tied for third highest on the slate. And these are all indicators. These are all things that are extremely attractive at this position historically, and that's something I always look to first every week. And also, it looks like Nick Foles is going to get the start in Week 9, and I'm not a huge fan of Foles per se, but he did have an average depth of throw at 9.9 yards last week, and just a little bit of kind of context there. Alex Smith has never cracked 7.5 yards in that category in his entire career. And in his in Foles, 61% of the snaps last week, Kelsey had a stat line of 472-1 and one on just six targets. So they were looking for him a little bit more downfield. And also outside of Spencer Ware, Kelsey is seeing the most looks inside the 10-yard line in the past four weeks. And Kelsey is basically just that kind of athlete that is worth paying up for, especially in GPPs. But He's going to be in a cash consideration for me as well, even though, like you said, I, I do like to typically pay down at tight end and cash. Yeah, and I like Kelsey also for the reason that, like you said, Nick Foles, but also the Jaguars corner Jalen Ramsey rookie uh, lottery pick who the Cowboys picked Ezekiel Elliott over. He's been playing some really good defense lately, and he might even travel with Jeremy Macklin because he can play the slot he can play inside and outside so with Ramsey on Macklin foes looking a little further downfield and maybe no Spencer Ware I think Kelsey has a really good path to being the focal point of the offense this week which is something that he usually isn't I think I saw somebody with a stat that last week was only the second double digit target game of Kelsey's career so wow yeah I think this week could be the third so i don't mind paying up for him uh, especially in gpps key stat dennis pitta is third among tight ends with 8.1 targets per game and he's had eight or more targets in five of his seven games joe yeah my key stat at tight end six of eight weeks so far this season the overall tight end one has been from the team favored by vegas Four of those six times, they were home favorites. Of six favored players, the average spread was 7.2 points or more, so over a touchdown. One of those exceptions is Jack Doyle in Week 7 as a road underdog, who in the past two weeks has been targeted 6.5 times per game, 
played 86% of the snaps and ran routes on 81.6% of Andrew Luck's dropbacks. So Allen did return to practice on Wednesday, so that's definitely going to be something to monitor this week as well as T.Y. Hilton. Yeah, uh, that's a really great key stat. Like, TJ's going to have to step his key stats up, <laughs> and I am as well when you know next week because you're just killing, him, killing us here with these key stats. Uh, yeah, so Jack Doyle, assuming Dwayne Allen does not play, is Jack Doyle back in play for you? I personally got off of him last week. I just have a lot of respect for the Chiefs' tight end coverage, especially with Eric Berry, Derek Johnson as well. They tend to cover the tight end really well. I believe over the last five, six years, ever since Berry has been drafted, they've been in the top uh, five against tight ends every year but one, and I think that year they were in, still in the top ten. So um, really... That kind of explains Doyle's down game last week. Are you back? Would you be back on him, assuming Allen is out against the Packers? Yeah, pretty much the same as you. I played a ton of Jack Doyle. Was definitely overweight in Week Seven last week. Had under five percent in tournaments. So I'm probably similar to that this week, just because of how high I am on Moncrief. Um, I think there's a situation where he could be used, kind of in that role. We always hoped that Dwayne Allen would be. But I'm still not totally convinced, and especially if Dwayne Allen is back in this game and T.Y. Hilton does end up playing, I'm not really on Doyle. Yeah, I think I think I'll I'll have probably more of Doyle than than I did last week because I had zero. But I think it really depends for me on the injury status of like you mentioned, Allen and Hilton. If Allen and Hilton both don't go, then I think Moncrief suddenly becomes very highly owned which makes Doyle a nice pivot because Andrew Luck has thrown something like I think over 30 percent of his career touchdowns have gone to that position the tight end so um, I do like him for his touchdown equity in the game at the highest over under and I, I like him as a leverage play but it really depends on what other options are going to be out there on the field with him yeah, that's true. His price is still pretty reasonable, too. So, like you said, if those other guys are out, and like you said, Moncrief, he probably will already be very high-owned, but will be even more high-owned if those guys are out. Doyle could definitely be a nice leverage play there. I agree. Kicker. Will Lutz is the minimum price, 4500 on FanDuel. He's a road favorite in San Fran, but the Saints have a 27.5 point implied total, which is almost unheard of for a road uh, team, especially one that's not the Patriots or the Steelers. San Francisco is 30th in schedule-adjusted fantasy points allowed to kickers. Lutz is the top dollar-for-dollar value on the 4-for-4 FanDuel value report that's available to DFS subscribers. And something that I'm starting to pay a lot more attention to uh, on FanDuel with kickers, because I I do think kicker is such an important position because you can kind of get an edge there because I don't think people really think through their kicker selections too much. So I wrote a whole article on kickers, uh, Daily Fantasy Playbook Kicker Strategy, which can give you a lot of help as to how to go about selecting kickers. A lot of it comes down to the Vegas lines, but I'm also looking for some distance upside, and Lutz has already attempted six 
field goals of 50 yards or more, and he's made three of them. So they do trust him to kick those those long field goals. He does have the leg for it. So you do get five points for any field goal uh, 50 yards or more on Fanduel, and you get four points for any field goal 40 yards or more. So you should kind of be paying attention to that distance up distance upside when you can. And Lutz has it, uh, Joe. Yeah, I like it. I like playing a lot like guys in general against San Fran just because of that pace and let's get kickers on DraftKings. Like let's go. Like there's <laughs> definitely an edge there. Like I've just been crushing kicker this year and a lot of people might laugh at that, but I'm I'm not kidding. Like there's so much leverage there. I think there's a ton of people that are just gonna throw in their minimum price kicker and call it good, but there's a lot of opportunity in tournaments for even like paying up at kicker. Like you obviously want your home favorite with a high team total, those are the indicators, but if you can pay up, even in some weeks, paying up for a guy like Goskowski, like there's a ton of leverage there if you're going to get that guy at 5% when everyone's going to be on the min-price kicker at 20. Definitely. It's, uh, it's a position where I think TJ Hernandez actually wrote an article. This was yep. for redraft, but it was, it was called something like, you know, playing in leagues with kickers will give you an edge. And it's basically exactly what you, you mentioned, Joe. People aren't really thinking through their, their kicker selections and, um, there's a lot of edge to be gained because you have so many options in a given week. Pretty much almost every kick, almost every favorite at least is in play. And you could argue that almost every kicker in general is in play because even on a team with a, a shaky offense, you know, in a given week, you know, their, their offense gets to the red zone three, four times but stalls out, you know, they could still get some, some good points there. So I really agree with that. I, I think we should all be spending a little bit more time on our kicker selections and kicker player pools uh, in FanDuel tournaments. Yeah, I mean, it's basically quarterback in a lot of ways, but I'm going to stop talking about kickers before TJ kills me. Uh, my defense pick is uh, the Kansas City Chiefs. They are a home favorite, tied for the largest spread of the week at 7.5 points, where the Jaguars' team total is the second lowest of the week. And Blake Bortles has been sacked on 7.9% of his past snaps in the past 12 months. Only three quarterbacks have a higher percentage on this entire slate. And Blake Bortles has also thrown an interception on 3.1% of his past snaps in the past 12 months. And only one quarterback on this slate has a higher percentage of than that. So home favorite against a team that takes sacks and turns it over. Sign me up. Yeah, definitely. The Kansas City-Vegas spread really caught my eye because they're I think they're up to a nine-point favorite as of this recording, which jumps out considering that oh. Nick Foles is going to start at quarterback and they might not have their best running back, Spencer Ware, either. And yet Vegas feels confident installing them as a nine-point uh, home favorite, even with the Jags kind of coming off the long rest. And I think a lot of that is due to the matchup of the Chiefs' defense versus the Jaguars' offense. This Jaguars' offense has been stuck in the mud all season long they've turned the ball over they just haven't played well they uh, have had trouble scoring at times you know it's a lot of the scoring has been in garbage time they've had trouble scoring early in the game so they create a lot of obvious passing situations for themselves in the second half which of course helps the defense because uh, defenses are just like running backs or wide receivers or tight ends whereas they need volume 
they need volume and volume for defenses comes in the form of facing pass attempts because you can get sacks sack fumbles interceptions interception return for touchdown the only really good thing that can come out of a rushing attempt for a defense is if you can get a fumble and a lot of times those fumbles just go into the pile and they aren't necessarily even returnable so really do like the Chiefs this week they'll they're my top defense they're my go-to uh, cash game defense yeah, how do you feel about Kansas City in tournaments? Because they're they, as what I've seen so far, at least when people have been talking about it, I think they could be one of the highest owned defenses. Like even like in the last couple of weeks, I know last week was kind of brutal for defenses outside of Denver. But what do you think about their ownership as far as using them in tournaments? I don't really mind it because, especially because they're on the higher end of pricing. So mm-hmm. even if they're highly owned, at least uh, I can use some of my edge or skill or whatever you want to call it to just create better lineups around a high price defense that's generally how i approach sure. defenses in those situations because there, in a given week there will be a couple of defenses that come straight out of the blue and maybe score a, a defensive touchdown or two and have a big week but it's really hard to predict those defenses um the predictive indicators that we're really looking for are as you mentioned the home favorite against a turnover prone or sack prone quarterback and I don't really think it's smart to fade those guys. So if the if the field is 25% on KC, I might even just be overweight on them. I usually have about three defenses in a given week that I'm playing. So um, I, I'm fine with going, you know, 33% for each of my defenses. And there's usually no defense owned that high. So I, I'm, I'm fine with using them. What about you? Yeah, I, I, to- I totally agree with that. It's, it's not every week we kind of get a perfect storm like that. Jacksonville does have a very low team total. One thing that I've kind of picked up on, Jonathan Bales has talked about this a couple of times, actually, targeting defenses, home favorites with a large spread, but against a team with a, a higher point total instead of a lower point total, those guys tend to be a little bit lower owned. I don't see one jump off the page this week, but that's something to keep in mind moving forward. Yeah, that, and I, I like to do that too. That's a great point by Bales. Um, I think that's because of what we just talked about. You get that passing volume because when there's a high total on both sides, and even though there's a large spread, if there's a higher total on both sides, that means there's two teams that likely will drop back to pass a lot. I could see something like that in the Green Bay Colts game where the Green Bay is a home favorite. I think they're, it's about seven, seven and a half points, but the, the total is about 54. So, you can bet that the Colts will drop back to pass a lot. We know Andrew Luck, I believe he's been sacked twice in every game, at least twice in every game this season. So He's the second highest on the slate in the last 12 months, 9.5 per snap. Right, so that's a situation where I doubt many people will be on Green Bay, and you always run the risk of that low floor, floor excuse me, because they could give up you know, 35 points. However... They will see a lot of volume, so they will have chances at sacks, at picks, at touchdowns, and whatnot. And if you get a, a return touchdown on special teams, you're in business. So uh, that was a great point you brought up, and that is kind of where I like to look at defenses uh, to target. So um, great call there. Let's get into our DFS theory segment. We're going to be talking mostly about qualifiers this week, and then we'll also get into some stacks that Joe... Uh, likes for this week i mentioned that he writes an article called stacking the deck for four for four dfs subscribers that will be out tomorrow that's out every thursday um, i will link it once it's up in the show notes along with all the other articles joe or myself 
has mentioned in the podcast, but Joe has... We've run the 4 for 4 championship for a couple years now. Last year, it was on FanDuel, and Joe qualified... I believe you qualified twice last yeah, year? Yeah, two weeks in a row. Right, so Joe qualified two weeks in a row, and then he qualified on the first or second week we were running this on DraftKings. So we're going to talk to Joe about his strategy and just what he, what kind of process he goes through to create these lineups that end up qualifying because it really is uh, a difficult thing to do. It's, it's almost harder than, um, than placing, getting a really good cash in a tournament because you really have to finish high, high up on, on the leaderboard to, to cash, uh, to qualify in a qualifier. So I will read you guys the, winning lineup of joe and then i'll ask him some questions have him break it down for you guys so he joe scored 208.2 points this was week seven remember so this is the week with uh the Bengals playing the browns and the colts playing the titans and the saints playing the chiefs uh he had andy dalton at quarterback uh 23.3 23.3 points. DeMarco at running back, 24.7. Spencer Ware, 21.1. Jaquiz Rogers was in the flex, also at running back, 20.3 points. Wide receivers were uh, the chalk with Mike Evans at 29.6. AJ Green, 33.9 points. Golden Tate, 4,900, got 15.3. Tight end was Jack Doyle, 22.8. That was the highest scoring tight end of the week and then the defense was the Ravens defense 17 points going against the Jets and uh Geno Smith slash Ryan Fitzpatrick so Joe congratulations on this I believe you said it was your cash game lineup correct yeah I mean you've you've mentioned a lot of chalk there and it, it was my cash game lineup I more of my head-to-head lineup I like to call it because i all my cash games are head-to-head. I know you guys have talked about that quite a bit. So I'm not really afraid to stack in my head-to-head lineup, which is why you see Dalton and Green in this lineup. But a ton of chalk, obviously. Ravens defense originally was to pick on Geno Smith. It ended up being a little bit of Fitzpatrick, which ended up being fine. Um, Mike Evans and Jaquiz Rogers in the same lineup. I'm honestly fine with that in certain situations in offenses we know that things are going to be somewhat concentrated things that kind of come to mind from last year's people playing julio jones and devonta freeman together or playing antonio brown and Le'Veon bell or d'angelo williams whoever it was together those situations have a lot more correlation than i think people realize you're basically taking advantage of Anytime Antonio Brown catches a pass and keeps the offensive moving, that gives your running back more of an opportunity to be in scoring positions. So those kind of things help each other more than hurt each other, in my opinion. Obviously, they kind of cannibalize each other's touchdown value, but I think the value that you get just to have access to all the touchdowns in the offense, in a concentrated offense in certain situations, has a lot more value than people think. Most definitely. So... This is your cash game lineup. How often do you put your cash game lineup in qualifiers? And how about just regular GPPs? Yeah, for me, my cash game lineup is never going to be in a qualifier uh, more than 500 people, really. I think that's what really matters is looking at how big the qualifier is. And as far as cash games in general, like I'm typically throwing it in a smaller GPP at some point just because it just kills me to see the chalk blow up and my lineup just 
going crazy and doubling all my head-to-heads, but you want to at least have it in one tournament just for your mindset alone. That's at least how I feel about it. Um, as far as qualifiers, I've had a lot more success this year in general in GPPs in some of these smaller fields. I think you can kind of, more than anything, just pit, well, just a simple pivot off a lot of these chalk plays. It's obviously easy to say in a year where the chalk has done really well, but I think there's a ton of value. There's obviously a ton of ways to win GPPs. Like you can differentiate yourself with stacks. I think that's a great strategy. A lot of people kind of just weighing their exposures and playing a lot of lineups. I'm someone this year I've kind of kind of transferred over to more of someone that's I've gone up in stakes a bit on fewer lineups and smaller fields, but still kind of keeping an eye on those payout structures as they do change week to week. I know TJ does a great job of looking through those every week, and I think that's game selection in general is just something that a lot of people don't look into enough. But qualifiers, I think it really matters how many people are in the tournament. So if it's a smaller tournament, you can have a couple pivots off of some of these higher-end plays and still have a chance. But in a larger field qualifier, I'm typically going more contrarian obviously and i'm either looking to finish very high or very low it doesn't do you a whole lot of good to finish in the middle definitely so when let's assume this was a larger qualifier and this is obviously kind of your cash game lineup if you're in a a larger qualifier are you basically starting from scratch or are you gonna kind of import this lineup and then make a couple of pivots or how would you go about building a lineup for you know a qualifier would say a couple you know a few thousand people in it yeah you guys did a good job even i think last week talking about the chalk and what positions you're more apt to fade the chalk and as a general rule i'm running backs that are cheap with cheap volume and kind of a sucker for that in gpps i'm not really worried about their ownership so say even this week in general spencer Ware was 52.4 percent in the four for four qualifier like i'm totally fine with that with how cheap he was i'm more um kind of likely to pivot at wide receiver just because there's a little bit more variance and people don't realize kind of how often things can change as far as what their matchup is like an elite talent can still have a great day no matter what his matchup is i think we get a little bit too concentrated on the chalk at wide receiver so more often than not i'm gonna probably pay down to hopefully some value that opens up a wide receiver but i do like to have at least one stack i think a quarterback wide receiver stack i know you and i both have done some studies on the millionaire maker and how often just that quarterback wide receiver one stack is kind of above the rest in general Mm -hmm. than a lot of the other stacks so that's something i would rather just play the averages on and have the quarterback wide receiver one stack i like to throw in a correlation play as well but typically um a head-to-head lineup i'm not as worried about kind of having a stack in general but for a qualifier i think it's almost a must yeah, definitely. I think head-to-head, it, it's not about looking to stack or looking not to stack. I usually just end up with stacks in my exactly. head-to-head line just because in in head-to-heads and cash games in general, you are looking for the highest scoring players of the week, the highest uh, projected teams of the week, and you're going to end up usually with the quarterback and somebody on his passing game you know um some weeks you won't but many weeks you will and i don't think you should ever shy away from it just for the sole purpose of not 
stacking. So uh, that's a great, great point. And yeah, I think going back to your point, Joe, about cheap running backs that are going to be high owned, but that are seeing volume. I completely agree. I found, you know, studying the winning million makers and studying the Sunday million winning lineups going back to the start of last season. I found that the average ownership for the top running back is usually above 20% in a winning lineup. So that doesn't mean, and of course we should always throw out the caveat that, you know, these winning lineups are going to be different from the perfect lineup. So maybe in a perfect lineup, it's not exactly the same, but the point is that, uh, people have been able to win consistently win these very very large you know couple hundred thousand people tournaments with using a high owned running back i believe the winner of the millionaire maker last week had Devonte booker and booker was 65 percent in the mm-hmm. millie maker and that's not really an outlier i mean it's an outlier in terms of there's usually no one owned 65 percent but it wasn't an outlier in terms of a running back that's 20 percent or more which is usually around where i draw that chalk line uh, a running back 20 percent or more in the winning lineups it happens very consistently on both sites so uh cheap volume at running back really uh not something to worry about with the chalk uh as joe said now i don't play as many qualifiers i know it's kind of a kind of a negative expected value move just because um you're usually looking to qualify as you mentioned joe or or if you're if you're not qualifying the, the prize structure is usually not as great as maybe a regular gpp so being that qualifiers are kind of uh negative expected value from a bankroll perspective how do you go about uh allocation in terms of your bankroll for them i know we talked about this a bit uh, i believe it was earlier in the season so you know how are you how are you choosing your bankroll allocation for these qualifiers yeah you and i talked about it a bit earlier in the season and honestly you just have to take a look in the mirror and figure out what your goals are like for me personally looking at what my bankroll is you just kind of have to figure out where you're going to have the most value and where you're going to have the most chance to have the most value. So for me, I've scaled down qualifiers a bit, but at the same time, I've gone up in stakes a bit in GPPs as well. So there's, I'm going to be playing things like the Wildcat or the Monster, but at the same time, I'm going to be playing the Exposure game on some of those smaller stake GPPs. And it's kind of a trial and error thing. I think I think uh, for each personal kind of bankroll there is a different strategy that could work and it's something you really got to kind of test like earlier in the season I was trying a lot of different things and in the past three or four weeks I've really found something that works I'm I'm playing a cash game in every slate almost and then I've gone up a bit in stakes more with like kind of those price pivots off my cash lineups in smaller field but higher stake tournaments so I think those pivots are very valuable and I think a lot of people worry too much about being contrarian but I heard someone recently say on a podcast like you can be contrarian all you want but your plays still have to hit and the chalk plays are good plays because they have data behind them I'm not saying go out there and play a ton of chalk but if there is someone in a really good spot that you see at a lower ownership and you have some other plays that you really like you can keep those other plays you really like in your lineup as long as you do have some sort of differentiation, whether it's having a stack. Like in this qualifier, I had Andy Dalton where a lot of people were playing Jameis Winston, even something as similar as that, but it still tied me to A.J. Green in that lineup. It really can make a big difference on, yeah, maybe 43% of people had A.J. Green, 
but the amount of people that had Andy Dalton and AJ Green was probably much smaller. Yeah, definitely. I think it all goes back to the fact that in, in these winning lineups, even in the largest tournaments, you usually see uh, at least one chalk play at running back, sometimes even two, and you usually see at least one chalk play at wide receiver. So you can kind of say, okay, like if I can just pivot, you know, maybe two wide receivers and, and, and get, you know, maybe, maybe one running back pivot and then, you know, just do my thing with whatever quarterback you know, defense, tight end that, you know, that I, I, I can I can work with to fill out my lineup. You know, I think that, that puts you in a really good place. I don't think, you know, I think something that I've tried to caution people against doing is entering a big GP or any GPP for that matter and just kind of saying I need to go contrarian all nine lineup yep. slots because I don't, I think at that point it's just negative EV. I mean, I think the bigger the tournament, the more it makes some sense, especially if you are entering, if you're max entering like a 150 lineups on DraftKings or something like that. Of course, you should have uh, at least a few lineups that are pretty well owned in case there's a situation where, you know, the chalk bust, you always want to be in that position to kind mm-hmm. of. Uh, benefit from it but in general you're usually seeing that these tournaments can be won with you know a few chalk plays mixed with some differentiated plays and some middle mid-tier own plays you know it's just a matter of which chalk plays in a given week do you feel like you can get the most leverage from fading and those usually aren't the running backs because it's really hard to replace that that value and you know at wide receiver as you mentioned joe there's more variance so more opportunities to 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 pivot a a few times and and sometimes you'll get a pivot automatically just by by choosing a certain stack you know if you choose a stack that's not one of the top you know two or three highest owned stacks of the week like Derek carr amari cooper last week they weren't super contrarian like people they were definitely on people's radar um going against the bucks pretty high over under but I believe in the Millie Maker, Carr was at 7% and Cooper was at 8.6. So, you know, just because there were other stacks and other quarterbacks and other wide receivers that were more popular, you were fine. Just, it, it, you know, I don't, I don't really call the Carr to Cooper a contrarian stack by any means, but they were both under 10% owned. So it, it worked out in terms of bringing somebody home a million dollars. So In the same game where everyone's playing Winston and Evans. Right, exactly. So yeah, all you needed was that little pivot, and you were way ahead of the curve. Um, especially because a lot of the chalk uh, kind of busted beside that. So even if you had just some average plays, you you did really well. Like you know, we talked about the the the, the number one spot in the four for four qualifier last week. Uh, it was only one hundred ninety four point eight points on DK, and I believe the winning Millie Maker lineup was. Uh, in like the low two hundred, low to mid two hundreds, which uh, you know, it's kind of on the low end of scoring. So uh, you can really take advantage of these situations just by some thoughtful pivots, and you know, just kind of controlling your exposure and and not going too crazy and not trying for all these dart throws because the the probability of you hitting on these dart throws and then hitting on these dart throws in the right lineups with the other guys that you need is really low. So it's really about um, balancing things out and picking your spots. And again, as you mentioned, Joe, it's, it's about just creating good lineups regardless of the ownership as your qualifying week seven lineup shows. Yeah, before I move on, I just I remember something you guys had talked about. It, it Just to have a dart throw or a low-end play, it, it doesn't have to be just a play that's completely off the board. Like Bringing yourself to a completely different lineup construction. So say even in this week where a lot of people might pay up at running back, it might be a week in tournaments to pay up at wide receiver just to bring yourself to a completely different lineup construction. It doesn't mean that those players you're paying up for have to be in bad spots. 
but they might be in good spots, just high, just lower owned. So that that's the kind of stuff that I look for. Yeah, like it could just be you could just play like the all the all regression lineup at wide receiver this week, mm-hmm. or the all like you could play Brandon Marshall, Allen Robinson, and like Antonio Brown or Odell Beckham or somebody like that, you know, and just all yeah. all the guys that are you know like. They're just killing people in season-long leagues, mm-hmm. um, and people probably just hesitant to play them. So you know, even just just the guys in weird price points. Mm-hmm. So like, someone's going to pay all the way up; they're going to pay up for Gronk. If they're going to pay all the way down last week, they're probably going to get CJ Fedorowicz. But if you're going to go in that weird in between stage, but you're going to get Travis Kelsey as a home favorite with a high team total, that's a great spot. Yeah, that's literally what I wrote about on on our DraftKings breakdown last week with Kelsey. It was that exact thing. It was like, you know, Gronk's going to be popular. Graham's going to be popular. Kelsey's twelve hundred cheaper than than Graham. And I heard a lot of people. I heard a lot of people say, you know, if if I'm not really looking at Kelsey because I can just pay twelve hundred more for Graham. And you know, to me, mm-hmm. that was kind of. Uh, you know, it was like a red light siren opportunity screaming because you, you're getting, as you mentioned, a great athlete going against that Colts defense last week. It, it just made a lot of sense uh, as a play. So um, definitely some great points. Let's move on to stacks since, Joe, I know you'll be coming out with the stack in the deck week nine tomorrow. Um, before we get into some specific stacks, I just wanted to know in general, what is your starting point for choosing the stacks you're going to have exposure to in a given week? Yeah, stacks in general, I'm looking the same place that I am for my normal plays. I'm looking for those indicators that you and TJ wrote up, did studies for in the summer. Um, I would recommend you guys all check those out. It's basically what I do every week. I put all the players in a spreadsheet, and I see who the home favorites are as running backs, and I go see who has... Uh, the high team totals and the big spreads for tight ends. There's always different indicators. So I start there and then I'm more often than not, I'm looking towards quarterbacks that are difference makers because in tournaments, I think that really matters. Like who's going to have a chance to get me three touchdowns. So this week I'm looking at a guy we've already talked about, but Aaron Rodgers, and I'm pairing him with Jordy Nelson, but I'm also going to bring him back with a guy like Dante Moncrief. And I think that's something you can do with stacks on a guy like Dante Moncrief that I expect to be really highly owned. If you add him to a stack, there's a ton of people that are going to have Moncrief, but who's going to have Moncrief with Rodgers and Nelson? All three are very good players, but it's having all three. That's the kind of stuff that I look for in stacks. Three guys in really good spots that the ownership together might be lower than the ownership when they're apart. All right, so you mentioned Aaron Rodgers and a sort I think Aaron Rodgers is the consensus top quarterback play this week. So my question for you is, assuming that Randall Cobb comes back and assuming that Ty Montgomery is over his illness or whatever is plaguing him as well, so assuming that Rodgers has Jordy, Devontae Adams, Cobb, uh, and Ty Montgomery, who... Rank them in the order which you'd want to stack them with Aaron Rodgers. Yeah, that's tough because I'm still kind of on the train where I don't think people are going to play Montgomery on FanDuel just because he's a running back and there's a lot of good running back options. So I, th- I think that's different in itself. Like I had Montgomery in cash on DK, but I had him in a ton of tournaments on FanDuel just because he was probably going to be lower owned. But 
just the equity that he has in the red zone, the amount of opportunities that he saw in those two games and targets. I think Montgomery's a great play, um, especially on FanDuel, where I think you can get him in tournaments at a lower ownership. But I think that you do have to go to Jordy Nelson just because of the fact that he has been so involved in the red zone and his target market share is very high. But it's tough. Like I can see the, the argument as well with going naked at quarterback. Like It's not necessarily a stack, but playing a naked Aaron Rodgers with a Dante Moncrief, like that's something that I'll probably do in some lineups. So I think you just got to kind of be creative with it. I don't know if I can really rank the three without knowing kind of what the health is. Like I have a hard time pulling the trigger on a guy like Jeff Janis. Like I know there's people that like to play him because they've seen him have those great days, but like he basically saved his day last week with the touchdown. And that scares me. I like to play the averages, play guys I know are going to get targets. So I would lean more towards a guy like Cobb than a guy like Adams as well. But Adams kind of played that Montgomery role. So like if they're both in the game, I don't really know what to do with that situation. And I'm going to have to look at that a little bit closer. How do you feel kind of about the Green Bay weapons? It's it's tough because not only do we have to consider all the things you just mentioned about them kind of cannibalizing each other's roles, but there's also the ownership question now too. You know, are all of these guys going to be highly owned or like if they're going to be just, you know, 60-70% ownership of Green Bay yeah. pass catchers combined? Because if, if it's that kind of situation where there's kind of a lot of uncertainty, sometimes I'll usually just go underweight on yeah. all of them. Yeah, because it, I think there was a situation a few weeks ago it happens a lot against the Saints, I guess, no matter who they're playing, where people just want uh, a piece of everyone against the Saints. And a lot of times I just kind of like to really focus on maybe one guy that I really think is in a great spot. Mm-hmm. Um, like last week, that, that helped me to fade Jimmy Graham because you know and Baldwin because I just didn't really know. You know, I, I could have seen either one of them doing well, but I, you know, I just felt like people were kind of just using those guys to fill up lineups. Like, okay, you know, this yep. – and, and I don't think – I, I rather um, I rather just take advantage of that with the fade than try to act like I know which of these guys is going to go off because I don't. And you know, interestingly enough, like right now, uh, our four for four projections, we're assuming all those guys are going to play. And I'm looking at the PPR points, and Montgomery, Cobb, and Adams have exactly the same projection essentially in terms yeah. of PPR points. You know, Nelson has a little more, and I do think Nelson is a cut above them just because of his red zone work, even though he's not fully back to what he was pre-ACL injury. His red zone work has been just amazing, his red zone usage, and it looks like Vontae Davis, who is the Colts' top corner, might not play. So if he is out, then definitely I think Jordy Nelson is a cut above. But again, we'll have to see what the ownership is looking like. But yeah, I could see I could see the argument for a naked Rodgers um, in that scenario and also just a pivot off Rodgers completely to, to maybe luck um, and, and just go naked luck or something like that too. So um, a, lot of, a lot of things to consider with this game. I think this is the game more than anywhere we really have to pay attention to the injury news. We know we have to do that after after what happened last week with the whole um, Montgomery being scratched. So um, I think that's that's about as much as I can say on that. You know, just pay attention. But cons- you know, if if they're all going to be healthy, you know, I might consider really just fading fading the entire um, quartet. Yeah, you make a really good point because, I mean, you only get, it doesn't matter how many lineups you're playing, you only get so much exposure. Do you really want to wait, waste some of your exposure, like guessing in a game where you have no idea 
who's going to be like, yeah, maybe you guess right. And that lineup blows up great, but you're going to have some lineups out there that totally just get tanked obviously too. So do you want to go there? Do you want to go a situation where you feel a little bit more comfortable with kind of how narrow the usage is going to be? Yeah, and let's not forget, like, the fullback Ripkowski played a lot of snaps and got a lot of carries, um, and, like, he could just coon everybody, you know? Right, like, how tilting is that going to be? <laughs> like, I might, that might just be my leverage play, Ripkowski. <laughs> um, I, I don't even know his price, but I'm sure it can't be much more than minimum if, if, it, is, if it isn't minimum. So, um, you know, maybe, maybe that's my, my, uh, my leverage play on, like, the small slate or something like mm-hmm. that. But um, let's see. Going to some of the other games, any stacks you like in the New Orleans 49er game? We didn't really talk too much about it, but it does have a pretty high total. Yeah, I do like to play guys in this game just or just against San Francisco or with San Francisco in general. It's, it's just scary. I, I do really like Carlos Hyde, so I'm not a guy. I don't think I've ever played Colin Kaepernick before, but I'm like legitimately considering it this week in a few tournament lineups. So I don't mind the Kaepernick to Carlos Hyde if he does play. I think that could be a nice low on stack. And and with all the people, yes, I get the home road splits, but it's the same thing with Roethlisberger and Brown. If you can get Drew Brees and Brandon Cooks at a very low ownership, like that's a situation I'm going to have some exposure to. Like you would be dumb not to. Yeah, definitely. I really like the uh, Kaepernick to Hyde stack because I don't think that's a stack that will be too popular for a number of reasons. Uh, number one, I just don't think that people are very high on Colin Kaepernick. Number two, I I don't think that a lot of people are high on stacking quarterbacks with running backs. You know, mm. and I don't think people are high on playing guys coming off multi-week injuries so and i'm not really either in cash games but in in a tournament i really love that stack because i think as you mentioned earlier you can get that access to potentially every offensive touchdown that a team scores i don't believe any team is running more in the red zone or inside the 10 than the 49ers if there is it's maybe the rams so maybe the niners are in second or third place the rams and the bills but the the niners run a ton and we know who's going to be doing the running it's going to be kaepernick and it's going to be their starting running back which will likely be Hyde if he's healthy so really do love that you know the 49ers have an implied total of around 24 uh, points um, and that's a lot higher than you know what they what they normally have and the over under is 51 it could just be one of those really ugly games that turns into a a shootout so really love that that call there um any other stacks you're particularly interested in this week um i know we talked about the 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 cleveland game already um anything in the uh san diego game i know there might be some opportunity with travis benjamin kind of banged up uh hunter henry's snaps going down do you like like a Rivers to Tyrell Williams stack at all, or do you think that's going to be more of just like a running game with uh, Gordon and Murray? Tyrell the Gazelle. No, I'm, I'm definitely on that stack. And you mentioned Melvin Gordon. I think you can even bring it back with him. I think you can go Rivers, Tyrell, and Gordon. And we talk about kind of a narrow range of outcomes, and I, I think Tyrell is going to be very involved, especially if Benjamin doesn't play. And then Gordon has a, always has a chance to get you a couple of touchdowns. So I think that's a pretty high upside stack. And Williams is a guy that I've played quite a bit 
and his I, his price just hasn't really gone up to where I'm really considering a fade, especially if Benjamin's not in the lineup. Rivers, I think, is going to be a, hot, a pretty low-owned guy, and this is one of the, the highest point totals of the week. So I'm, I'm on the Rivers to Tyrell, and if you want to even di- differentiate a bit more, especially if Benjamin's out and Tyrell is a little bit more higher-owned, I think you can add Gordon to that as well. Yeah, and Gordon, I mean, I think he had one game where he had no catches, but for the most part, Gordon usually gets, you know, his three, four catches a game, so he could certainly uh, score, catch a TD from Rivers. So, yeah, I like that. Yeah. Like that as well. Uh, let's talk quickly about rushing expectation for the listeners that don't know. Rushing expectation is a methodology that Joe came up with, where it's uh, it's it's film based and metrics based. Um, essentially, looking at how a running back performs relative to his offensive line, um, what he's doing on film, and things like that. So you guys can check that out on uh, predictivefantasysports.com. The rushing expectations articles also appeared on 444 over the summer. So, Joe, I just want to ask you, I really love the the work. Um, I wanted to ask you, who is one guy that you studied uh, this offseason in rushing expectation uh, that really helped you in DFS besides Spencer Ware? (laughs) (laughs) no i'm just kidding uh well i mean rushing rushing expectation in general i wasn't really sure what to kind of expect in its first year and i'm sure frequent four for four readers know kind of a little bit about it but it doesn't have direct dfs implications but kind of the expected success rate metric that i created basically highlights that not every success rate is created equal because it takes into account a sample size dating back to the year 2000, but it also kind of highlights that not every success rate is created equal. So this methodology was essentially my attempt to emulate what Matt Harmon does with wide receivers and reception perception, which is, but running backs obviously is kind of a completely different animal And the goal was basically to separate offensive line and running back success and hopefully identify a few potential breakout players along the way. So Spencer Ware obviously has been the poster boy of my methodology all the way back in July. But getting to play him at near 100% of my DFS lineups in week one was obviously extra special for me and definitely one of the more rewarding moments of my career in football so far seeing him go off the way he did but it's been tough like a lot of the guys I was really high on have been injured we saw Amir Abdullah get off to kind of a really hot start in the first couple of weeks and then get injured and then obviously Theo Riddick has kind of taken off um, a guy like Thomas Rawls we'll see what he can do when he comes back but David Johnson was a guy that was my wide receiver one after going through this process just watching this guy he's at a completely another level. I know there's a lot of Le'Veon Bell love out there. I'm one of those people as well, but I still think David Johnson is the best running back in the league, and he's a guy that I'm going out of my way to pay up for whenever I can, and he's a guy that I've probably been overweight on every single game this year. So let's say, who's the worst run defense in the league? I guess the Saints or the Colts? One of the, oh, let's say you have... Colts last week. Okay, okay, so let's say you have... David Johnson, Le'Veon Bell, and Ezekiel Elliott at the same price going against the Colts as a home favorite. You're you're choosing DJ? Oh, yeah. Not even close. It's just the involvement that he has in the passing game. He's got a 20-point floor almost on DraftKings. 
and he has as much top touchdown upside as any of those three. He plays at a better pace than Zeke, and he has more top touchdown upside than Le'Veon Bell. So it's it's DJ for me. Yeah, it is interesting that Bell hasn't scored a touchdown yet. Um, but Crazy. Yeah, um, I'd probably still go Bell, but I, I see your point there. I think, you know, DJ's amazing. I was all over him as the RB1 in terms of fantasy drafts this year. A lot of people, you know, kind of got... Uh, little take People it. were scared of Chris Johnson. Yeah, it yeah. It was it was kind of confusing. I, I was like, you know, I don't care. You know, like let Chris Johnson get like nine carries. It still doesn't matter because, like you mentioned, just the receiving floor for Johnson is so high. But I mean, I think that guy's special. I think you know, and I think all three of those guys that I mentioned are, are oh, kind yeah, of special I mean, backs. We're in a really good. We're nitpicking there, but yeah. Um, and all right, so so you studied a lot of guys on film. Like, who's one guy where? The film was maybe a little bit, or just the numbers or whatever, just the whole overall um, process. Who's one guy where the process was maybe a little misleading, where a guy who maybe were high on uh, kind of has had a disappointing season so far? Disappointing season. Um, I probably, at least the other way, Jay Ajayi has done a little bit more than I expected him to. Uh, the problem is a lot of the guys I was super high on have been hurt, so we'll see what Deion Lewis can do when he comes back. Um, I wasn't very high on Gio Bernard. If anything, he's as far as total yards, he's been pretty impressive this year. It's kind of hard for DFS to figure out what weeks to play him, but I was probably lower on Gio Bernard than probably the average person coming into this year because you never know what's going to happen with Hill, and I basically fade that situation in DFS pretty much because like we talked about before it's it's hard to waste your exposure on kind of a situation that's really hard to predict but aside from that um I was really high on Thomas Rawls I know he wasn't right in a little bit of time that he played this year but Christine Michael is worrying me a bit he's looked a lot better than I ever gave him credit for I wasn't really willing to kind of pay up into that kind of narrative again I was a little bit kind of um I don't know I, I just feel like I had to see it and I mean I have seen it so it's gonna be interesting what Thomas Ross can do if he does get healthy again this year but uh if, if there's one guy that I was super high on that hasn't performed very well it'd probably be Thomas Rawls in the small sample size this year yeah I agree it's just he just hasn't been healthy and at this point I mean I, I think you have to keep rolling with with Michael and now ProSize looked pretty good last week yeah. Um, so it'll be you can't pass protect though yeah that's the thing so they'll probably have to use him more um as a as a receiver split him out and things like that so i i i, I my money's on michael kind of keeping that that job um but mm-hmm. we'll, we'll see how it goes um and joe um i know you are a coach on roster coach as am i and tj so you want to talk to us a little bit about that before we get out of here Sure. Roster Coach is a video-based DFS educational website that TJ Hernandez founded and Chris and I are both a part of. It's just a really great compliment to any DFS player to kind of see us go through our process every week and break down how we're using all this information and stats and that you can find right here on 444 and just to make those the most intelligent decision possible. It's a very kind of variance type oriented sport but essentially with roster coach you're looking over our shoulder to see how some of the other coaches and i are doing things week to week and we also have one-on-one coaching available as well which has been just fantastic so if you're looking to take the next step in dfs or even if you're just kind of on a crunch time in any given week and 
want to talk to TJ, Chris, or I, and kind of we're, we're all available to kind of help with whatever you want to improve your DFS game. Most definitely, uh, really a fantastic site. I encourage all you guys to check it out, rostercoach.com. Follow it on Twitter at rostercoach. I want to thank all of you guys so much for tuning in, listening to us talk for so, so long about this game that we love. Uh, remind you guys that the 4 for 4 DFS subscription is now $59. Uh, it was 99 to start the season. So now that we're in week 9, it's down to 59 That subscription will run you from now throughout the playoffs. And you can go also get a discount on that $59, a little more of a discount, by going to my pinned tweet and there will be a little discount code in the link um i'm at twitter at chris raybon and of course follow joe on twitter at joe holka and you can also check out all of his rushing expectation work at predictive fantasy sports.com again thank you guys so much for listening can we get a let's get this money joe Get that shmoney, boys. Let's get this shmoney. Right here, right here, right here is the...